Welcome to the Moon God Pod. I'm your host, JYLAX, aka Jason Harrell. With me always is my main man, Loveox. And today we have a very special uh, Aku Moon God podcast. Uh, we, we like to talk to moon gods of the project, but also what I consider moon gods in real life. And today we have uh, Coach Maurice Jackson. He is my former coach, he is now an assistant principal. Um, long time in the school system, working with children, molding young minds, uh, both on and off the field. Um, you also attended Winston-Salem State and HBCU. I couldn't think of anyone better that's, when we talk about education in the AKU program, than you to kind of get some insight on kind of today's youth and, you know, the, the AKU um, character, the IP that uh, we have developed, and we'll kind of get all into the, the nuts and bolts of it. But um, this character that we have, Aku, really seems to resonate not just with myself and Lovox, but I think that there is definitely a need in the school system. Uh, you've had a chance to kind of look and see and just even see the art. And so, first of all, just welcome to the program. Always good to see you. And, yeah, thank you. And just jump right, jump right into it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, they would jump right into it. Like I said, the Aku character, um, from what I've watched and what I've seen, um, is outstanding. It's very needed, much so needed, um, in the, uh, black community. Um, you know, um, to my family, for example, if I can tell a story real quick, we go to a uh, diverse church. And the reason we go to a diverse church is because when my daughter was five years old, she asked, where does, white people go when they die and i said baby they go to heaven you know and she was like no no we go to heaven you know because we were at a black church and she said no no we go to heaven where does white people go and i was like you know baby they go to heaven too and uh so she couldn't grasp that concept at first that you know that we went to the same heaven because when she went to church all she saw was black people so we made a mission my wife and i made a mission to find a diverse church so that we could bring our kids up in that diverse uh, church and uh, let her see as a five-year-old that there are white people that go to church too. So that's what the Aku kind of reminds me of when the young man asked, could, you know, uh, or any astronauts black. So I, um, I also, I just think about Ronald McNair, who's right down the road from here. I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and Ronald McNair, who went to North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina, you know, think about him and losing his life on the shuttle. So, and I wonder if Ronald McNair at some time in his life, young life, if he had that same question, that he made it a reality. Coach, thanks uh, again for joining the podcast. Much appreciated. Uh, can you go in your background? I'm curious as to how one becomes an assistant principal. Okay, well, uh, it's called the burnout coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, just a... Uh, what we did is I coached, I mean, I coached and I taught. Um, I was fortunate where I um, I could start my education um, background off on uh, by coaching. Coaching opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, but I just, uh, I went to Winston-Salem State. I got a degree uh, in physical education. Um, got a second degree in sports management. I thought I was going to be a sports agent, uh, you know. But uh, so, you know, Michael Jordan, none of the big guys called at the time. So I decided I would go into education and try and make um, a bunch of guys reach the league. Well, um, 
after that, um, like I said, I had to coach for about 20 years. And then I decided that, well, since I'm in education, I better get on the on the top side of it uh, after this coaching thing is over. And I went back and I got a um, master's in um, administration. Um, and, um, you know, I hit the ground running. You know, I was, uh, our class was uh, one of the top classes of North Carolina, a place called Gardner-Webb University. We went through that master's program within a year. We doubled up on classes and went through a master's program within a year. Uh, at the time, the General Assembly in North Carolina was refusing to uh, pay teachers for their master's degree. So, um, and that deadline was going to be that January. So what we did, we um, we agreed, the university met with us and told us what the General Assembly had decided. And we all agreed that we would double up classes and um, finish the program a year early so that we could make sure that we get compensated for our time and for our degrees. So, You went to Winston-Salem State. And yes, I know that you were a football player. Yes. The the decision to go to an HBC, it, what, what was the importance? In, and then what do you think like was also like kind of a, a difference maker in, in that decision as opposed to the UNC's, the NC State? Well, the um, the one thing was I was I went to a school that was probably about 70, 30 and diversity or no. Uh, 30% minority. And um, you have to understand back in the 80s, there weren't too many Hispanics. So it was just us, uh, black and white. And we, and I'm be honest with you, what really got me besides the scholarship offer was um, anytime we had to vote, we were always outvoted. I couldn't stand that. I'm, I'm a competitive guy, but I couldn't stand it. You know, we would have um, a live band for the prom or a DJ. Well, most of the minorities would vote for the DJ. Well, most of the other people would vote for the live band. Well, guess who won? The live band. Okay. So I wanted to go somewhere where I was the majority. And, uh, you know, um, just coming from a little small town, Shelby, North Carolina, um, by way of Lawndale, North Carolina, then, you know, it was um, it was my duty to seek out African-American uh, colleges, HBCUs, and um that's what I did, you know, because, you know, as Malcolm X say, until you know yourself, you don't know anyone. So um, I, um, I, I, suck, I looked for scholarship opportunities, had a couple with some um, uh, PWIs, but, you know, I chose Winston-Salem State, you know, so it was the best choice of my life. I always say the school's so nice, I had to do it twice because I uh, – Graduated in 93 with a degree in sports management and went back and graduated in 96 with a degree in physical education and health. So going back to your um, your current role as an assistant coach, it's my position that I think things have gotten harder for kids in general. Do, do you find that to be true? And if so, like, how, how do you how do you believe that things have gotten more difficult for them? Things have gotten more difficult for kids. Um now, one thing, COVID did not help. Okay, let's go. To, it did not help at all because uh, it was already tough for kids, but it really messed kids up. And, and be honest with you, it messed a lot of adults up, teachers as well. Um, but it's gotten harder because when I was in school, for example, in the 80s, you know, if we had a dispute, we just go down the street to what we call the gravel pit where the state dumped their gravel. We go down there and we handle it and we come back and we were good. Um, but um, now it follows the kids home. 
It's 24-7, social media. Um, if there's an altercation with kids, next thing you know, it's posted up on social media. Everybody in the world is looking at it, and the kids feel embarrassed. Kids don't want to come back to school. Kids get bullied. And the next thing you know, kids feel like they have to get a one-up on you. And that's the thing. Kids always feeling like they have to have a one-up on the next person. So if you beat me up and you post it on YouTube, then I need to come back with my boys and beat you up and post it on YouTube. And then I need to come back since you beat me up with your boys and I need to come back and shoot you all with and then post it on, you know, it's crazy. And it's all just the one up thing that's really messing kids up right now. Uh, but to say that, you know, and, and that is a pocket, I would say that's a pocket. That's not all. Because there's a lot of kids who are out here doing some great things and who are striving and they are fighting their way through this regardless. Um, and it's, um, you know, here at my school, we're at Ronald Wilson Reagan High School, Pawstown, North Carolina. Now, if that don't sound white, you know, <laughs> but, you know, and it was it was really it was when it was founded in 2005 and built, it was predominantly white. And it's still predominantly white, but it's a uh, it's a growing population of minorities here, which is really good and really diverse and it's really helping, um, helping our school. And so, you know, kids are resilient. I mean, I love this school because it's almost like a utopia because they're they're very accepting. They're very, um, you know, forgiving, you know, like any school, you're going to have a pocket of knuckleheads that you deal with. But at the same time, you know, you have to love on them as well. So but I've say I've said this many times uh in just in life and on this podcast like I feel like we live in a participation ribbon society now and I want to take it back and and just kind of ask you like if you were kind of just coaching today um just you know in the mid 90s you were my coach but I also played soccer and I remember seeing the football team and we're talking two three a days in the August heat in North Carolina you know Water was like a, a reward, you know, um, and most importantly, I remember we played a particular basketball game where we were up by like 40 or 50 at halftime and we did not win by 40 or 50. I still think we won by 10. And the next day you made us run for every bucket that they, the other team scored, we had to run a suicide, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, but I use that example as like, you know, like, like I learned so much from that. I hated you for that, you know, because <laughs> all day from the, from the day school got out to the, till we finished. But I don't even know that. Can you even do that as a coach now? Like, like, I, I feel like, you know, it made us so tough back yeah. then and now you can't do any of that. Well, the problem is, you know, back then, um, I believe and still believe that teams take on the personality of their coach. I was aggressive, so I wanted you guys to be aggressive. That's why we pressed. I mean, you know, I would always tell the joke, you know, and coaches would always say, oh, Jackson's going to press you as soon as you get off the bus. You know, he's going to be pressing you. And and that was the reputation that I, I, I enjoyed, I loved, because I knew we were aggressive enough to uh, succeed. And that's why we ran so much, because we had to be in shape to run and trap as much as we did. But, you know, I always I just felt like we can't I can't ever let you guys be satisfied. And that's what we're missing today. Uh, Dawn Staley says it uh, best when she says that you have a backyard workout, but want the power five offer and your parents applaud you for it. 
that's not that's not that's not the way I was brought up. That's not the way I tried to bring you guys up. Is you guys have to work for what you get. And you know, a lot of these kids, like you said, everybody's getting a ribbon, everybody's getting a trophy. We're in that we are in that generation of everybody gets a trophy. You know, I never forget. I was at a church league. We were playing soccer, and my kid, uh, my son, made it to the sec uh, to the championship game. Well, they lost. But when they went to the table to get their medals and uh, get their uh, trophies, everybody had the same trophy. You know, we left our trophy. You know, I can I can tell you that everybody like everybody looking at me like, Mr. Jackson, you forgot? No, we don't want that. I was like, dude, no, man, we don't want that trophy, man. Why are we getting a trophy for losing? I mean, don't get me wrong. And that's the biggest mistake I think we make as parents is that we teach our kids to be successful, but we never teach our kids to fail. And so when failure comes to them, a lot of them don't know how to deal with it. And that's even today. And that's why, you know, you see sometimes you see suicide rate up so high amongst teens. It's because when they fail at anything, they feel like it's the end of the world. And that's because we as parents have yet to teach our kids how to fail and, and let them know that, hey, it's OK to fail. Let's just get back up and do it again. And that's what I was trying to teach my son. And I think I did teach my son is that, hey. It's okay to uh, come in second, you know. I'm not telling you to settle for second every time you compete, but at the same time, you're going to be okay. That means you're going to go back and you're going to work a little harder to try and get to first. But I'm not going to give you a trophy the same size as the person who put in more work and who did, who executed better. Um, I'm not going to get that trophy. That trophy can, I don't know, go to the YMCA or somewhere. But yeah. <laughs> But then they got on me because it was church league. But I was like, hey, soccer is soccer. Look, competition is competition. I don't care who you are. You just you just don't do that. But that's the society we're living in now, that everybody wins. And that's not the case. Everybody doesn't win. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I love – I'm a big fan of uh, Don Staley. I think she's a fantastic coach. Yeah. I like everything that she stands for. I guess switching gears just a bit, when it comes to curriculum in schools and you're having conversations with students, are you seeing anybody talk about blockchain or cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or, or anything like that? Are those words that are spoken of in the school? You know what? There's not. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's unfortunate for us because one of the slogans here at Winston-Salem State, I mean, Winston-Salem for Life County Schools is uh, we're preparing our, are we preparing our kids for the 21st century? But yet and still, um, there's there's a blimp, I'll say that, a blimp uh, mention of it in our, some of our business classes, but no one's really getting diving into Bitcoins or crypto and things of that nature that I feel like is the 21st century, you know, that's 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 right here at our door, that's, that's coming, you know, and it's going to, I feel that it's going to be here a lot sooner than what people think. I mean, I mean, I know it's here now and people are doing it, but I think it's going to be more widespread. Uh, Curriculum-wise, that's no part of uh, Bitcoin and things of that nature or in our curriculum, and I just don't understand that. Do you know if um, ChatGPT or any other AI-related software has kind of reached your doors as of yet? We're in North Carolina, man. I'll tell you what, we're probably number 46 in the nation in <laughs> education. So, brother, we, uh, look, we just got to look. We we just got them out the cornfields, man. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, it hasn't, man. Uh, like I said, it, it hasn't. Uh, a lot of those kids, now, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the kids who are into AI and things of that nature, um, they are um, they are um, doing it on their own. For example, my kids did robotics um, in high school. 
Um, and they did it in middle school and they did it in high school because they went to a STEM school. Now, I should digress and go back and say our STEM schools now. Yeah, you hear these terms that are in our STEM schools, but in our traditional high schools, there is no AI, there is no Bitcoin, there is no crypto. You know, there is none of the digital language that I feel like they really need. You know, um, to some of our um, leaders, I'll say, um, they feel like technology is, you know, everybody's got a um, laptop. Everybody's got an iPad. Okay, we're meeting our technology goal. Check, check that box. You know, they're not, they're not diving into the technology the way that I feel like they should as the kids for the 21st century, you know. Um, but, yeah, our STEM schools, um, my kids went to a STEM school. Um, that was the threat. If you can go to this school, but if you mess up, you get to come to school with me. So they didn't want to come to school with me. So, you know, <laughs> so they went to the STEM school and they did robotics. They built the robots, they, uh, the robots, they uh, programmed them, you know, you know, it was it was a really cool thing to see. I mean, they went to competitions, won a state championship one year in robotics. So in North Carolina, A&T would host that, of course. But um, other than that, if you're not in STEM school, you don't really get a lot of AI uh, information and stuff of that nature. It sounds like the digital divide that we kind of hear about. Like, yeah. I, f I feel like North Carolina probably is one of those states that's affected. I live in Los Angeles, and I don't think that they – probably have a problem at least in the greater Los Angeles area. It makes me kind of I, like, I, especially with what you had mentioned about how COVID really affected the school systems. And I kind of, in the web three space, this crypto blockchain, like we keep talking about the metaverse and I'm sure you've heard yeah. that term before where like everything is kind of going digital. Where do you find yourself like trying to figure out that balance for like, you know, like we went, all in on Zoom call classes for like a year or two, and then now we're kind of back to traditional. But it, like, what did what did you learn, and and where's kind of the future going? Well, that's what I, um, that that's a great question, Jason. Because what I learned during that time was that um, be ye prepared, because nobody was prepared to be zooming as far as as part of school. And um, I mean, trust me, you want to talk about some hiccups, you want to talk about some, you know, just the moments um, that that at that particular time when we had to go Zoom. Oh, my God. You know, I wasn't really a tech guy. My uh, kids were. I mean, they could, you know, matter of fact, I would call my my, my son and my daughter at school. I'd be like, hey, what's my password? You know, <laughs> I'm that type of dad, you know, because <laughs> they would program my, all my devices. But. What we've done is, and what we've seen is, is when whenever the the education system there's something that they don't know, you know, instead of going to get the knowledge, sitting in on 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 you know what we call PDs, which is professional developments, and getting the knowledge from someone, they'll seem they'll seem to kind of skirt around it, or back uh, you know a kind of backdoor it. Like this year now, just this year, we've decided to do our discipline reports um, online. You know, now instead of, you know, the old school of writing a kid up, you can just go in and type it up, never interrupt the class, just type it up, and it comes straight to the administrator. We can walk to the class, pick up the kid, and deal with it that way. I myself still prefer the old way of just the write-up, you know, when I got all the carbon copies, you get the parents, you get the kid, and you get the teacher. 
but um, that's just cover hole. Uh, <laughs> but but no, actually, it does work, and and uh, it's it's been a long time coming because when you talk to other school districts, they've been doing it. But like I said, here in North Carolina, we're just not reaching that you know that epitome of of, of small things such as a write up that we can do digitally. And there's a lot more. We have a lot more meetings, I would say, digitally. But um, we just don't. I just to me, and it's just to me, I guess. Uh, we um, we just don't prepare our kids the way we say we are. We say we're preparing them for the 21st century, but when we say that, we're talking more of preparing them for college. Now, I know I've got 2,200 kids in my school, which is big for a school in North Carolina, um, but I know they're all 22 that comes through that door not going to college. I got 2,200. I know that there's all them, some of them that don't want to go to college. So and I asked the question a few years ago, what are we doing for that population? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're the, if we're preparing everyone for college and we talk college, 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 and don't get me wrong, we have a 96% graduation rate, okay, which is good, which is high in the state and things of that nature. Like I said, our scores are great. Um, have a great school. But not everyone wants to go to college. So therefore, we have to prepare them to do something. And I always propose that we prepare them for the future. And the future is, it's not, it's, it's learning digital, it's learning trades, it's learning jobs, you know, because we do need people in the workforce. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to need people in the workforce and we're going to need smart people. If we don't, then, hey, digital may take over. <laughs> Think about Will Smith. I am robot, you know. <laughs> I'm looking at your uh, art behind you, and you know, I can, I can, from what I can see, I can name a number of them. You know, Tupac, uh, Mandela, and Malcolm yeah. X, and Muhammad, and I'm, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, besides, I, I see uh, uh, Kaepernick, but yeah, you know, you Don't forget, we Don't forget Kendrick, yeah, that's the L.A. boy. We, we have like 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 the, it's a it's really interesting that you have that because part of Aku and what I what I'm drawn to the project and what I think is needed is is again having that kind of character that kids can relate mm-hmm. you know and like having their own um, identity portrayed in media and I always want to think that Aku is like the younger version of what Black Panther could be. Mm-hmm. Is there a need that really needs to be addressed, especially in like the underrepresented communities, like that a character like Aku could really fit? I think so. You know, um, you know, one thing that we try to do in this district is we try to in our administration staff, for example, I have um, I'm one of five APs at this school. You know, we have a principal, and then we have five APs. Um, and what we try and do is we try and represent uh, the student body. So we want everyone in that student body to be able to relate to somebody on that administration staff. You know, our biggest struggle right now is finding Latino um, uh, APs. Some schools have them. Of course, we don't, but we do have a young man that's fluent in Spanish. So, you know, that gives the uh, Latinos and the representation there because they'll come up and they'll talk and they'll, you know, mess around in Spanish. But, you know, we just, we're underrepresented 
and so many things that I think that our youth, especially in our elementary schools, need an Aku because they need to know right now that they can be anything and everything they want to be. And right now, I just don't see our system the way it's designed, the way it's set up saying that because the way our systems and many systems are set up is saying you have to go to college because if you don't go to college, then you're not going to be anything. You're not going to be successful, you know. And I need I need for kids to be able to dream like I do and to ask those important questions. Can you know as a person can I be an astronaut? I need for them to ask those questions, but more importantly, I need to have answers for those kids. You know, those kids need to have an answer and have a true answer. You know, it's not shoot straight from the hip. It may hurt your feelings, and not it may ruffle your feathers, but it's going to be the truth. Hey, I won't make it up. I'm take back to my mother used to tell me when I was little, you know, before I take it back, I'll add more to it. <laughs> so. You said a key thing there, and you said you said the word dream. And I, I look back to my life, and I, I wonder at what age that I stopped dreaming, because I definitely have, right? I, I, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, where you can do anything, and the world is yours, and that kind of thing. So I, I guess my question to you is, how do you tap into that with, with kids? How do you say that, you know what? You can do that. How was that message relayed to you as an assistant principal? How do you how do you tell kids that? Well, this is one way that we're doing it here at Reagan. I'm very proud of this. But um, we've come up with a uh, program called Young Black Male Achievers. Um, and what we've done is we've got all the black males in the school, uh, which is probably about 240 some odd kids. And we got mentors now. The mentors are not from outside the school. The mentors are the teachers. The teachers mentor. So we hook up teachers with our black people. Because why? You know, I'm a member of 5A Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Okay. I could easily ask my fraternity to come over and be mentors for these young men. You know, we're a historically black school. We're a historically black fraternity. We could easily come over here and we're a lot of professionals. We could easily come over here and be mentors to these kids and there would be no problem. But Sigma is not the classroom teaching these kids. So therefore, you have to be able to see these kids for what they are and who they are before you know you can um, you can actually teach them. And as I told them when we first started that, you know, because like I told you, it's a predominantly white school. I told them you can't be scared of them because if you're scared of them, you can't teach them. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we um, we prep the teacher. Teachers are the mentors. Uh, when the teachers are um, like I said, sometimes if the kid's having a problem in, let's say, Jason's class, and Jason just walks down, he'll talk, to, uh, he'll talk to you and say, hey, can you talk to your mentor? He's doing this or he's not turning this in. Mentor gets in. Hey, buddy, you're not doing this in Mr. Harold's class. You need to do this X, Y, and Z. And then it gets done because a lot of times what people don't realize, kids don't want to disappoint. Kids, kids want to please kids or, or people, adult pleasers. But a lot of times you just see the the acting out or the reaction that you're getting from kids. And a lot of people don't look at what's causing the reaction. And that's what the problem is. You know, I'm not telling anybody by all means, I'm not telling you to be take disrespect or anything of that nature. But you have to understand where the disrespect is coming from. When you understand where the disrespect is coming from, then you can deal with it and you can handle it. I have no problem with disrespect. I have no problem with a kid cursing. Now, I don't tolerate cursing, but if a kid curses, I'm going to correct him and say, hey, 
watch your mouth. But I'm not going to go drag him to the office, write him up, because I'll be spending the rest of my day doing that because it's language. And we have to understand that sometimes with kids, we have to uh, we have to dig a little deeper. We have to dig a little deeper with them to find out what's the real issue. Who wakes up in the morning angry? You know, so when they hit the door at eight o'clock in the morning and they're already angry, then there's something that has caused them to be angry. They're not just waking up mad. You know, the sun shining so I'm mad. They're not doing that. But people have to look at kids for what they are and who they are. And I think that what we do and what society needs to do as far as education-wise, you know, we don't need to always think about, oh, if we just pour more money, pour more money, pour more money. But at the same time, is we need to uh, look at the real value of education. You know, look at the real value and look at who is benefiting right now. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. I want to I want to piggyback off just the idea of dreams and you know. Like saying at eight or nine, I know at eight or nine, I stood in front of like a, like a basketball league and said, you know, I want to be the next white Michael Jordan. Like that is documented in Goldsboro history. (laughs) And and there was always the play, the kids that, you know, everyone that kind of picks up a ball that has any kind of skill, like thinks that they will be in the NBA. And we know the statistics or the NFL, you have actually worked, uh, whether it's you've, coached or been a part of like uh, a number of NFL players and um, professional athletes. And I, and I please encourage you to name drop some of them, but I'm, I'm curious, like when, when you're dealing with someone like I'll, I'll use my example, right. When you're dealing with someone like me that says, I want to be in the NBA and let's be honest, like there was, that's the dumbest thing I could have said, you know, versus, you know, you know, uh, an athlete that did make it, what's the difference that you see? And, and how do you kind of, um, as a coach or, or even a principal, how do you kind of foster and nudge in one way or the other? Like the one that you know can probably actually make it versus the one that you kind of need to take them off the, off the dream bus. <laughs> well, this is what I do. Uh, and I'll be honest with you. I'm not here to pop anyone's bubble, but, um, I do. When I hear your dream, I'll tell you what's your goal. Um, one thing I used to do with my ninth graders when I was a teacher, I used to have them to write a seven-year plan. In seven years, where do you see yourself? You know, I knew who I was dealing with by the papers I got. And um, it was always, I see myself in the NBA. I see myself in the NFL. I got three cars. I got four houses. And I knew for a fact this kid was in La La Land. He was dreaming. He was really a dreamer. And then, you know, I would get those papers where this young lady, uh, last name was Ledford. I can't remember her first name. But she went to NC State because she wrote when she was in the ninth grade that she wanted to be um, an astronaut. It's kind of funny because she wanted to be an astronaut. And I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, but she had a plan when her seven year plan was Papa, on this year. I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to do that. You know, and she had named it out. She went off to uh, to NC State to study neurophysics or some kind of stuff, something. But anyway, make a long story short, she works for NASA. OK, so um, maybe she's not the astronaut, <laughs> but she hangs out where the astronauts hang out. But um, and, but you just have to uh, let kids dream. I didn't lose my dream of playing for the Dallas Cowboys until I got to college. I uh, played defensive back. I went up against Yancey Thigpen. 
all pro, all stealer, you know, guy, Tennessee guy. You know, I went with this guy against this guy. My first thing, I mean, I'm coming cocky freshman. This guy's built like a linebacker. He's big, huge. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, dude, no back then I could run. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be easy. I'm going to impress these coaches, man. By the time quarterback said hit, man, I'm standing there and he's down the field. And I'm like, hey, come back. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I mean, <laughs> he just left me standing there. And I knew right then, whoa. And then my uh, coach says, oh, yeah, freshman, uh, meet Yancy Thigpen, All-American, blah, 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 blah. You know, ran his resume off a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm saying, okay, if I want to go to the NFL, I've got to be like this guy. So I have to be able to guard this guy because this guy's going to the NFL. And um, long story short, I never was able to get guard that guy. So real quickly, I thought, okay, I better get this education. <laughs> I thought this NFL thing is not – you know, that was my goal, man. I was going to Sam State. I was going to get drafted, man. I was going to play for the Cowboys. Hey, bro. You know, I, I had the whole life, man. You know, I played football since – I started playing football when I was in second grade. You know, that second grade, the coaches were on the field. By third grade, they were off the field. They weren't allowed on the field. You know, the signal plays in the run. I mean, Shelby. Shelby is a dominant football town here in North Carolina. I think we won some, like, 19 state championships. I mean, it's uh, the history of uh, good football. It's only four schools there, but they're all good history is football. And growing up in that that particular county, which is Cleveland County, you had to play football if you were a male. <laughs> I mean, it was just that was just the thing. Plus, if you wanted girls, you wanted to play football. But not. <laughs> but that was the thing. Like I said, we started when when I was in second grade, and I played all the way through college. So I just thought that I was, and I put the work in, and that's what you that's what you miss right now. You do you you know what you don't know. When I was young, I didn't know a lot of things. I just knew that I need to be in shape when I go to practice or for tryouts or whatever. But now kids, you know, I, I tell them a lot. And I, I, I bring kids in, especially with basketball guys, because I tell some of them, your future is in football, but you like to show off your fade and your edge up. So therefore you play basketball, but basketball, no matter what level you go to, have 12 scholarships. Mm-hmm. I said, now you think about this. Prime example, Rico McCarter was a big, uh, was a hot topic. He played at Goldsboro High School for a little bit. Then he transferred down the street. You know where Wayne Country Day is, yeah. the Wayne Country Day private school. Well, I mean, people were flying in Boston College, Carolina, to Miami. Just anybody of everybody was flying in to see this kid, which is four miles away from Goldsboro High School. And the kids could tell me, all the basketball players could tell me that what what college was coming in that day to see um, to see Rico. Well, I would ask them a question. Did they come see you? Did they come up here to see, talk to your coach? Did they talk to anybody? Mm-hmm. Oh, they didn't talk to anybody. I said, because they have 12 scholarships and they have 50 states and plus uh, international. <laughs> I said, so you think about this. Those power fives are taking those 12 scholarships and they're getting the best of the best. And then I would pull up, for example, um, I would pull up rivals, NC rivals. I would pull up their top 200 list. Show me your name on the top 200 list. Now, and then, of course, they'd stroll down the list and they'd be like, oh, I know this guy, I know this guy, but they never would find the name. And I'd tell them, now, this doesn't mean that you can't play basketball on the next level. 
it just means that power five may not be your move. Mm -hmm. That may not be your move. So therefore, you may need to look at something else. And that's when I, even at Eastern Wayne, I did that with a lot of the football players. When I first got there, they thought if they didn't go to Carolina or NC State or one of the power fives, that they couldn't go to school. And at, and my time in five years at Eastern Wayne, I sent about 22 kids to HBCUs because I came from HBCU. Mm -hmm. So I helped them to realize that there's other football out there and there's other things. You, you can still have your dream, but it may not be in the format that, you know, that you think is going to be on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Linux, we're getting down to the end. So got any final thoughts? Any, uh... Coach, does, uh, does Independence High School mean anything to you? Oh, here it is. Yeah, they do. They, uh, <laughs> Independence. Oh, my God, man. You know, they had that long streak there. But, you know, one thing that they really mean to me is um, Crest High School out of Shelby um, was the last team to beat them, 34-27, down in Shelby when Chris Leak was a uh, – Freshman. <laughs> so, yeah, but Independence was uh, – that was a great story. I mean, that was a good school. Tommy Knox did a great job there. Um, you know, I think he's down in South Carolina now. But, um, you know, but now Charlotte has so many independents that you don't even really hear about independence anymore. Right now the um, the beast um, down there now is um, – there's the Mallet Creeks, and um, then there's the um, – What's that other school? Charlotte Catholic, uh, the recruiting capital of the world on the uh, religious exemption. You know, they get anybody and bring them in from anywhere. Um, then you've got. Um, well, you know, got, Coach, you know, Coach, he brings this up because he went to Independence. I'm pretty sure that's why, you know, I, I, I figured he had some time. He's there, that's why that's why I had to take that little pen and just kind of pop let him know that you know that but they it's, I mean you it's know. funny you bring up uh, Chris Lee because I was uh I was there when Chris Lee was a freshman. We oh we, yeah, so we were I think we were seniors at the same time. So we yeah. had a couple of classes together and, and you mentioned seeing people on campus. So I saw the Florida State head coach and the Clemson head coach and just everybody came there. So I um I my high school career, I only spent one year in Charlotte and I uh I played uh, center for the basketball team, for the basketball wow. team. I didn't play basketball until I came to Independence. And within two weeks of being on campus, I had like seven scholarships, seven D1 offers. So there it, is. It, is, it is kind of interesting. If you go to the right school, there, there, it can be helpful to you as well. Well, if you go to Fayetteville, for example, back in the day, Fayetteville used you know, they have the uh, Camp Lejeune there. And what they would do at Camp Lejeune, they would call, at, you know, you come in with a family and they say, hey, you got a son. Oh, okay. You know, look at him and say, what does he do? Does he play any sports? And they'd be like, well, yeah, he plays football. Oh, football? Well, you want to go to Jack Britt. That's who you want to go to. I mean, they would just kind of form around. Oh, you play soccer? Oh, you want to go to Terry Sanford. Oh, you you play football? Oh, you want to go to Douglas Burr. They would just form them out to these to these schools. I mean, you know, it's just like it was uh, – It was we had Seymour Johnson, which is Air Force Base, Nothing like a Marine base. And, of course, me, they all went to Eastern Wayne. <laughs> I was there regardless. You could play dead, yeah. whatever. They just went to Eastern Wayne. They just went to our school. Uh, but um, now it's, it's, it's flipped, Jason. Um, all the kids on the military base goes to ACOG. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eastern Wayne has become the black and brown school. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. But yeah. But Independence, I really did. I I, I enjoyed, you know, watching Independence. Um, 
dominate. I mean, it was good to represent North Carolina like the way they did. I mean, even though they got hosed up there in Ohio in that Herb Street uh, tournament, but you know, other than that, anyway, they did their thing. Uh, I uh, I'll tell a quick story. Newburn, uh, Chris Lake's senior year, Chris had beat Newburn in the state championship that year. They beat Newburn to win the state championship. They're fourth grade or something like that. Well, the next year I took over as head coach at Goldsboro High School, and guess who was the first person on my freaking uh, schedule? Newburn. <laughs> so I'm I got these new guys, and I mean it's a late hire. It's one of those deals where they've got me in here. Um like July 24th. Seasons the season starts July 31st. I don't get hired till the 24th. Mm-hmm. Well, um it's like I gotta get these kids ready. I mean, I barely got a team because you know there was some discord. They thought some other kid guy was gonna get it, then I swoop in and I get it. And so You've got people tell adults telling kids don't play, don't play, you know, just kind of sab- trying to sabotage. So I'm having like 13 kids at practice on a varsity team. Yeah. You know, that's 13 kids. So I'm practicing like this. I'm practicing, but being innovative. Well, once again, dreaming. Um, I'm um, I'm taking half the kids and putting on the right side while the other holds the bag. And then we flip it over, go to the left side and let the other guy go. So I did that for about two weeks, all the way up until that first game. And um, I finally got enough kids, and, you know, I had to hit the halls. And, hey, big man, hey, big man, I think that was my line. Every time I saw somebody, hey, big man, hey, big man, you playing football? Hey, big man, big man. And so I was standing outside the cafeteria, man, just recruiting kids to play football. And so I finally got them, and they they come there and say, you need to get a little Earl. You need to get a little Earl. And I said to them, I said, we don't need nobody else, little. I don't need no little Earl. I said, you know, we we need some body, but we don't need just a little Earl. And um, man, one day we were at practice, and all of a sudden it was a nice sunny day, and all of a sudden I got real cold. It's like the sun went out, man. I don't know. I look up, man, and this huge six eight kid just standing down. Are you the coach? I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm the coach. And he's like, I'm little Earl. I said, boy, not a little about you. <laughs> I sucker was huge. He's about six eight, man. Three. He went on to play at East Carolina. Um, like I said, Stanley Bryant. He's another guy. Um, went on to play at East Carolina. Stanley was our all um, all state tight end, but he um, went to ECU as a tackle. Uh, played uh, many years. Played for the Broncos a couple years, but then he uh, went to the Canadian League where he won um, three. Um, what you call them, Grey Cups. Grey Cups. Yeah. Three, uh, uh, three Grey Cups. He was they're all pro, I guess. What you call it? I don't know what you call their all star team or whatever. But he was he was whatever that is to made it to the All Star game of the Canadian League um, several times. And then of course my main man was Manny Lawson. Manny Lawson uh, went to NC State. He played opposite of Mario Williams, and uh, he ended up getting drafted first round to San Francisco, then moving on to Cincinnati. Then later moving on to Buffalo, and that's when he retired. He retired from Buffalo, but yeah. And then I got now. I've got Jaron Reed, who's a um, he's a D tackle. He got drafted second round to Seattle. Stayed with Seattle when they were the Legion of Boom. Yeah. Then he left there and went to uh, Kansas City for a year. Just finished up a year in Green Bay, and now he's back in Seattle. So he's been about nine, ten years in the league. So. You know, and then the one story that I always tell people is, you know, in his bio, they always say 
that Jimmy Graham never played high school football. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Eastern Wayne High School was one of very few high schools who, at that time who had a ninth grade football team. Mm-hmm. We had a ninth grade football team, we had a JV football team, and we had a varsity football team. Not all the schools in North Carolina nor around our district had three football teams. And so we had to play some of the same teams twice. We had to put them in some other places. But Jimmy Graham was a part of that ninth grade football team. Of course, it's like almost like club ball, but yeah. he was a part of that ninth grade high school football team. Chase Hooper. We're gonna we're gonna get you out on a softball question here. You have, you grew up in Western North Carolina ish. Mm-hmm. You lived a good part of your life in Eastern North Carolina. Which has the better barbecue? Is it Eastern North Carolina or is it Western barbecue? Well, let me tell you something, man. That's I mean, sure, I make sure my mama ain't watching this, but not. <laughs> but no. Um, you know what? Twenty years ago, I would have said Western because that's just what I love. I mean, Bridges from where I'm from, Bridges Barbecue, Lexington Barbecue, you couldn't beat. But my 15 years in Eastern North Carolina, I love Eastern barbecue. Now, I'm going to tell you, man, my first experience with Eastern barbecue, I could, oh, no, no, no. You know, a guy, uh, one of the players, um, he um, his dad invited me over for barbecue. Well, if you say barbecue back in the on the western part of the state, we're talking about a cookout. Okay, yeah. let's just call it what it is. But they said barbecue, so I said, okay. He told me, he said, hey, we're going to throw a pig on the grill. You know, we back, you know, back down west, we do a pig picking, you know, we'll cook a pig and you go up and pull off of it. But um, he said, we're going to throw a pig on the grill. So I said, okay, cool. So I got there a little too early. I didn't want to be late, but I ended up getting there earlier than what I probably should have. And so I'm getting there at just as they're pulling the pig off the grill. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is different. They're going to take it off the grill. Well, this guy got like, Put it on this daggum slab, and he's got like two hatchets, man. And he just started hacking it away at this thing, man. And I'm sitting here looking at him. I'm like, wow, okay, you know. Um, so I'm looking around the table and stuff. I'm trying to find the sauce. Where's the sauce, at, man? Where's the barbecue sauce, man? You know where we're from, man. You know, that's the part of the state that's barbecue sauce. Man, that guy gets some kind of vinegary stuff with some peppers in it, man, and starts shaking it all over it, man, and kind of mixing it up. I'm looking at this thing, and then you know, I mean, he's, I'm talking everything. You know, he's pulled the ribs and stuff out, but he's chopping up gristle, everything up in there. He's just chop, 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 chop. And I'm like, wow. And then he says, Go grab one of those plates over there. So I grab a plate, man, and he just grabbed a big scoop. And, says, ah, and I look at him, I say, What do you want me to do with this? <laughs> yeah, he said, That's your food. Coach. He said, That's your plate, coach. That's the, he said, Yeah, you can fix your plate the size over it. And I'm like, Y'all eat it like this? And he's like, Yeah. How y'all eat it? I was like, oh man, it's a whole different game where I'm from. <laughs> oh, imagine me telling people in LA those pig picking stories. Oh, I came from they can't handle it. They can't handle it. I tell you, man, look, you got me one barbecue now. But no, Eastern barbecue to me, um, I think, like I said, I, I hated it. Uh, but I guess the longer I stayed in Goldsboro, the more now, because I'm back here in Winston, which is about 15 minutes from Lexington. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the Lexington barbecue. I don't like the tomato-based, you know, uh, barbecue anymore. I, I prefer just good old-fashioned Eastern-style vinegar barbecue. So That's great. 
Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for uh, this episode of To the Moon God Pod. I'm JYLAX for Love Ox. Coach Jackson, always a pleasure. Good to reconnect. And, and thank you so much for the insight. Um, if you guys have made it this far, obviously, retweet, comment, subscribe. Follow us for more. We'll keep bringing you not only the moon gods of Aku, but the moon gods in real life. So we will see you next time.